That's the sound of my brain thinking. That's what it sounds like, the human brain thinking. It's exhausting. It gets noisier the older I get as well, thinking. Hey, this is good. Proper height of podium. How's everyone doing? Good? It's so nice to see so many people. I was kind of expecting a lot kind of less folks, you know, Memorial Day, a lot of people have plans and things. What a blessing it is uh, that we are here. We prioritize this gathering, you know, and not because uh, of anything other than we truly believe that when we come together in any place, whether it's the garden, the pantry, or here on a Sunday morning, you know, we encounter Christ. You know, this is not a solitary pursuit. This Christian faith, this walk, this discipleship is always a communal uh, engagement, uh, this vertical and horizontal of where we meet God in community. And it is beautiful. You are beautiful. Do you believe me? You are fearfully and wonderfully made and dearly loved right now, just as you are. My name is Grant. Um, and I'm only standing up here because I believe in that, that I'm loved uh, and that there's a power in this world that is greater than any circumstance and we can, we can hold on to and depend upon. Uh, I have the pleasure and the privilege of being a pastor here at New Song Church. And what a joy it is. It's got some ups and downs for sure, like life, but what a joy. We've been doing this series about why do we blank. Uh, for those of you who've been with us for a few weeks, we've covered quite a few subjects so far. The first one we did is why do we gather? Simply, why do we gather? Second one was why do we sing? Uh, then we talked about why do we pray? Uh, last week, Josh uh, brought us the subject of why do we preach? Why do we teach? This week, our subject is why do we give? So I'll give you a couple of minutes if you want to leave right now. <laughs> why do we give? You know, there's so many ways that we could talk about this. I actually looked through, I got, a, I don't know why, I'm an analog guy, right? I like my Kindle, but I prefer my books. You know, so I have sermons on, on computer, right? But I have a pile about this big, two piles even, of sermons I've done. And so I physically looked through them to try and find times I've talked about giving. Hopefully to avoid any work this week, I could just regurgitate something from the past and you would not be none the wiser, which I did not do. Um, but I found a lot of different ones about things like, how, what does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to be an honest person? But in this context, I wanted to narrow it right down, because in this series, we're talking really about what does it mean to do these things as part of Christian worship? So why do we give money? And we're talking about money. We talk about, sometimes we kind of talk about, you know, thanks for your prayers and your time, and we sort of put money at the end, like, because we're kind of embarrassed about asking for it, right? We're talking about money today. That song, who was here at the beginning of the service and heard that song? What was that song? Yeah, we did not do the words because it has a cuss word in it, but some of you were thinking it. Shame on you. But you know, it's, it's, it's actually an interesting exploration. It even quotes some stuff, misquotes a part of the Bible, says money is the root of all evil. Scripture actually says it's a root of all evil, but it's actually a pretty honest song. Um, I read an interview with uh, Roger Waters who wrote the song, and he said that he said he was wondering at the height of his fame, am I still a socialist, is what he said, right? And he was like, I realized I want this stuff. And I'm having to question my sense of like sharing with people to, to be the rock star, you know, as we know when things take a downturn, you know, it affects real life. And there exists in our daily experiences as we go through this world in our lives, a long line of businesses and businessmen whose entire purpose is to take your money, okay? That is their purpose in life, is to increase profits, more money for shareholders. As Josh mentioned last week, where's Josh? 
Yeah, Josh, there he is. I've, I appreciate uh, you preaching last week, by the way. Um, thank you so much, Josh. I love our team. It's so good. Melody as well. Um, but he mentioned this thing that, you know, there's a real, like, uh, science and every single day, smart people are thinking about ways to uh, target advertising ever more efficiently. You know, it's, it's, it's a constant work. Um, and every, every section of society is targeted for this kind of advertising and this, you know, creating a longing or a, a sense of lack in us and then providing the product that will apparently satisfy it. Uh, so from toddlers to pensioners. And, and I think, I was thinking about these people. It's kind of like they're magicians, okay? They are, it's magical. They are promising sudden well-being, status, joy, self-esteem by the mere possession of their wares. It's like some kind of magic trick, like pulling uh, wonderful objects out of hats for a small admission fee. You can have this joy, this pleasure, this satisfaction, this status. Or they're like commercial alchemists turning plastic and metal and cloth and wood into happiness, into human happiness. And I'll be very honest with you right now about church. In the church world, there's something that pastors are aware of that sometimes their people are, are blissfully unaware of, and it's called the money sermon. The money sermon, okay? Otherwise, more euphemistically, known as the stewardship sermon. That sounds better, doesn't it? Whoops. <gasps> That's bad. Um, and, and so perhaps, you know, what they do, what we, we do, preachers, I'm talking about me, is that we pick a scripture in, in the Bible not because it's the next thing in the, of what we're preaching on, but we pick it specifically to talk about money and, and encourage people to give more. So perhaps in Mark's gospel that we studied recently, we would pick the story of this widow. She came to the temple and she put in her little amount of money, all she had, and, and Jesus commended you know, her giving. And then we say, wow, what an example of sacrificial giving. We should all be more like the widow, right? You ever heard this stuff? I've heard it. I may have even said it. Um, you know, um, firstly, that's not the point of the scripture because right before that, Jesus says about the Pharisees, they have made, they have devoured widows' houses. They have made these vulnerable people poor by their own greed. And then he says, this widow comes and she put money in and said, you know, what a beautiful, beautiful act that is seen by God. Um, but secondly, when church leaders do that stuff, when we do that stuff, we sort of become another one in the long line of businesses or people uh, doing the same very thing of uh, promising some kind of goods for cash, stuff that will make us happier. I mean, it may be religious merchandise, but sometimes it's still just merchandise promising to satisfy the same needs and longings in us. And I think, unfortunately, that's sometimes the motivation between talking about tithing and offerings in church, that we will be paying for something that we get. And therefore, the product better be at least as good as the product that they're giving down the road, the competitor's product down the road. And I think some religious organizations are, are unashamedly explicit in this regard. It's called the prosperity gospel. Literally, the equation is, if you give more, God will materially bless you more and more and more. And it's a heady attractive formula, isn't it? If you give more, God is basically duty-bound by the laws he has put into the world where he will have to bless you. As Josh said earlier, what was it? Standing under the showers of blessing. Fountains of blessing, sorry. It doesn't work if you get the words wrong. Okay? 
Give materially, you will receive, receive materially. But of course, as we know, money is necessary for every organization to function. We do need finances. It's, it's part of how we work in the world. These lights cost money. This building, all the things that we do, uh, the chips that we give out on Thursdays. Um, so this week, I have to admit, even prior to this week, as I set up this, why do we, da 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 I was thinking, man, this is an opportunity to tell the people that we need more resources they don't know that it's a little bit like that. They just think, oh, it's just another wonderful talk about things that we do. And, and um, so when first putting the series together, I have to admit, I thought that thought did cross my mind because, you know, old habits die hard sometimes. Pastors, right? It's the money sermon. Finally, it's the one in the year when I just like hold my nose and go, right? Um, and um, I may have even voiced it to the elders in a meeting. Oh, don't worry about it. I got this. We're doing a talk about money. It's going to be fine. And especially since we're approaching the end of our budget cycle, and we're quite behind the curve. If you look on the back of the worship guide, you know, we're not where we were hoping we would be. Many reasons for that. Here's the thing, though. As I prayed, and I pondered, and I lived, and I listened, and I experienced life this week in light of what I'd be talking about this morning, I realized that what I clearly needed, as much as anyone, was the message that was arising in my heart. This is not the money sermon, this is not the stewardship sermon. This is a message about the kingdom of God and the redemption and renewal of all things that Christ began when he rose from the tomb. This is about life. And I want us all to leave here not heaped with guilt, but instead rejoicing that Christ has called us to follow him with everything we have, and he is totally sufficient for our needs. And he invites us to participate in this powerful work in our community to join him in what he is already doing and gladly adding our presence and our power and our resources together to his. I want to do a test. This is typically what we put on the screen when we talk about the financial needs of our community. We do this almost every week. Can we have that slide? Okay, I want to ask you a question. How do you feel when you put that up there? How do you feel? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel happy? Do you feel annoyed? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel sleepy? Do you feel, uh, uh, it's that slide again? I'd, huh? Hungry? Okay, yeah. Anything else? How do you feel? You want to be honest, if you want to shout out, man. You love the church center up. Here's a plug. Reminded, okay. You know, you may have noticed that we don't pass the plate anymore in here, and that's something that did for a long time. We don't pass the plate, and one of the reasons is because we don't want someone who's stepping into this already strange culture. If you've been in church for all your life, you don't know probably what it feels like to walk into a church building for the first time because you have some longing, and you think perhaps there's something there that might meet that longing, but it's terrifying. You don't know anything that's really going on, and then suddenly you find yourself this empty plate thrust into your hands for money. Um, and the other thing is, it's almost like potentially reaffirming this consumer mentality that I'm paying for a service today. Time to pay, okay? So, but of course, as we said, financial resources are really necessary, they're important, and we take it very seriously. So why do we give? Or perhaps why should we give? Why should we give as part of Christian worship and as part of our lives as followers of Jesus? So the Bible... Um, is both helpful and unhelpful because I printed out everything I could find um, and wasted some money on printer paper in the Bible about <laughs> verses about giving. There's hundreds of verses that talk about money. It's a pretty prevalent subject in the Bible. 
Um, but what I want to look at first is one that maybe on the surface doesn't seem to say a whole lot explicitly about this subject. But it's one that you'll all be very familiar with, and we covered it in the Gospel of Mark. And it's Mark 12, 30 to 31, where Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing is we give because we love God. We give because of this command, this call to love God. I tell you, I have to admit, I experienced some anxiety when I was thinking about this week, and it was kind of an aha moment for me. I was actually, it was yesterday, I was feeling anxious for reasons which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. Some other reasons happened in my week this week, which always happens when you're preaching, doesn't it, Josh? Stuff happens. So, but I felt anxious, and I was thinking, here's why I was thinking. I had written all this stuff down, and I was kind of thinking about love God is like a duty, it's a command, it's a burden, it's a, you know, are you loving God today? Are you loving God? Did you love God today? Are you loving God more? Love him more. Come on, love God more. We give, give, because you love God. You don't love God? Okay, don't give, you know. It's like, but then I was thinking about the, the magnificence of this statement, and it flipped it all around for me, because the whole point is that God is the important part of the statement. God. Love the Lord your God. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us, right? We love God because he first love, loved us. It's, it's him. We talk about these things that we do as a response to a God who has initiated a relationship and has done everything necessary for us to be in this relationship with him. It's not about duty. It is a response. We can love God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're loving God, but... This is the, the, the important part is it's, it's in this relationship with God that, that God is love. You are his. His love for you is unfathomable, is unconditional, is eternal. And the fact is he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't need our reverence. Yet he invites us to love him and receive his love. And really, in the reality of God's complete self-giving, this is the God we discovered as we've gone through Philippians and Peter and Mark and Acts. It's the God who gave everything of himself for us, even though we were in some way his enemies, rebels. He gave it all. He gives it all. So really, our response is kind of a meager offering. It's not really much. It's something that... Is this um, response to a God who has initiated such love for us, and yet he takes it and then he multiplies it for his purposes. I was thinking about this woman who kind of got into trouble. There's a lot of women who get in good trouble in the Bible. I love it, you know? Um, and some of the guys just don't get it. And one of the times is when this woman comes, and apparently she's a woman of suspect lifestyle, perhaps, and she comes in and she is weeping and crying on, at Jesus' feet, and then she uses her hair, and she's wiping the tears to dry them from Jesus' feet. And, and the, the table gathering at Simon's house, they're scandalized. They said, if you knew what kind of woman this was, you wouldn't let her touch you. And Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfume on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. I think to understand what this means is what God has lavished upon us. 
to give would seem nothing in response to this love if that's a way of expressing our love to God for all that he has done. Second thing is the second part about people, and this all has to go together. I know I'm taking them in order, but they're, they're connected. So bear this bit about God in mind as we move to the next one, okay? And here it is. We value and love God. Therefore, we should value and love what God values and loves, and it's people. We give because we love people. Here's what happened this week. Um, my son, Ethan, who many of you have come to know, some of you have even come to appreciate and love, and I appreciate that. Um, and he's not here today, so I can just talk about this openly and freely, and he wouldn't mind, because he's a preacher's son and he's used to it. And I pay him 50 bucks every time I mention him. <laughs> so, so um, he's recently just been kind of struggling with being 20 years old, stuck at home, pandemic, and he's got friends up in Orcas Island where we used to live. And when we were there for 10 years, it's an island community, so I mean, the relationships went deep over 10 years. He's got like people, and can I just say that people down here have, have been pretty much the same kind of situation, but for Ethan, it's been hard, didn't know anyone coming down here, so he wanted to go back home and, and figure out what he wants to do. And so, you know, we support that. We're like, you're 20 years old, go right? So Thursday, he's, he's all prepared, and we, we kind of plan what he's going to do. He was going to drive up by himself in his truck to Washington. Um, big moment. You know, you, you video your kid leaving the driveway. He's got all of his belongings, his clothes, everything all packed up in the car. And then, sorry. So he's okay, okay? But like, I, uh, I was at the vet's with my daughter's dog, and they were showing me, here's the low amount of cost for this torn drew claw on, my do on her dog's foot, and here's the high cost. And I was like, mm, and this, my phone starts ringing in my pocket. And I pulled it out, and this is like 40, 35 minutes, 40 minutes since Ethan left, and it's Ethan calling me. And he doesn't call when he's in the car. So I answered it, and the vet's there, and I'm like, hold on a minute, it's my son. And he's frantic, just frantic. Dad, dad, dad. And I'm just like, you know, parents, of 20-year-old sons, <laughs> and, and I was just like, are you okay? Are you okay? Ethan, are you? I could hear traffic, I could hear noise, I could hear voices, are you okay? And he's like, I'm okay, Dad. But he had hit something on the road, he had turned his tire around, and this is just not even on I-5 yet, and it's a really busy bit with narrow, like, concrete bar barriers everywhere, and he'd hit a wall, spun the car around, hit the wall again, all the fluids leaking out in the freeway, cars are going around him, there's another accident ahead, someone else had rear-ended a semi, and, and luckily my mother was a nurse, so I had this thing mode where I go into calm mode when something happens. So after initial, I said, you know, you okay, is there any other accident, vehicles involved? No, I'm like, okay, son, like, call AAA, da-da-da. But that moment was so crazy, and I was thinking about this whole thing about loving people and about money and possessions, and here's the thing, at the vets, the bill for the vet didn't matter, the cost for getting him home didn't matter, the car didn't matter, nothing really mattered except my son, that he was okay, because I love him. So when I was thinking about this, imagine that we could really grow to see how infinitely precious not just our sons and daughters, but every single person is to God, therefore to us. What would that do for our materialism and our ability to give, to be generous? What would that do? 
you know, the, the, the situation in Texas this week, I was looking at, you know, there's a GoFundMe, which, uh, thank you for some of you who came on Thursday, by the way, we opened the sanctuary up, or was it Wednesday, I can't remember now, um, for an hour, and we had some candles here, we had a little prayer guide, there's some in the foyer if you want to pick one up, there's some for Ukraine, every time something happens, we're opening this building up for, to the public, I publicized it on Facebook, Kavina Buzz, Sandimas Buzz, to say we're a place where when something happens and we're hurting, you can come here, be still, be quiet, and pray and light a candle, okay? We did that. Thank you for those who came. I know it was short notice, but I appreciate it. But one thing we did, we also tried to put practical resources there. And one of them was this GoFundMe for the, for the families there. And uh, as of this morning, it's currently almost at $5 million. And I just thought, why is that? It's because it hurts, man. We see the pain, the suffering, and we want to do something. And one thing we can do, which brings practical help, is to share finances with people in that place. It's not going to bring people back. It's not going to fix it all. But it can do something, perhaps positively, to give a bit more stability as they go through this dreadful grief. You know, I was thinking about that. So we, do we love our community? Can that be, can our, if we see the pain, we encounter the hurt and the lostness and the longing, might it make us a more generous people? So I was thinking about perhaps on Sundays, instead of showing this thing, which is important to know how to give, we just put images of people around our community who are struggling. Say, hey, this is the reason that we give, because we love people and we want to see our power <laughs> expanded to love people and, and show them that they are loved, they are welcome, they are needed, they're important. You know, I think another thing about the tragedies that have happened is one of the, the things that we're trying to do, I think, there's tons of solutions people can say to when, why these things happen and how we can begin to maybe fix it, but one of them I think is like, and we're so uh, scattered as communities, we don't know people around us, and I think, imagine if we had our community where most people were known, they knew each other, all those who were willing to do that. You know, and a young boy from the school, the fact that we have 130 kids coming and having coffee and stuff, and we're saying, how are you? How's it going? I've seen some already, which I'm like, I'm like, ask them, how are you doing? And they're getting pretty honest with us, you know? We know our kids, we know our neighbors, we know the elderly. Uh, that's what we want to do. And I think that can be actually a remedy to when someone feels so isolated and so angry and so alone that they go out and they do such a terrible thing. We give to support community, connection, relationship. I think it's a step in the right direction. The third thing is, remember it says, love God, love others. It also says, as you love yourself. We value ourselves. We believe God values us. Then we want to grow in the ways that he wants us to grow. And I think we give in order to grow as his disciples. You know, I think this is probably true. And it's more true for some people than it is for other people. But I know it's been true for me. Issues around money uh, and what we have, our bank balance, whatever it might be, are perhaps the most resistant aspects of human life to surrender to God. Perhaps the most resistant, perhaps the last to go. You know, when I'm reading my Bible and the next thing I'm checking my bank balance and I, sometimes I get more of a feeling of well-being from the bank balance when it's in a good place than perhaps I even do from reading the Bible, if I'm perfectly honest. I'm being honest about myself, ladies and gentlemen, right? So we can be honest about ourselves and know it's okay to be where we're at. Um, it's the way of the world. Sometimes we don't even notice it because it's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. It is our world. 
You know, Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And I sometimes paraphrase this and say, with man, this is impossible. With American Express, all things are possible. (laughs) We don't need to wait. We don't need to pray. We can make it happen. You know, Jesus said something pretty scary in terms of this. In, In Luke chapter 16, Luke writes that Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then he brings a real life example and he only talks about one thing here. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And I don't say this to make us feel guilty. I say it to identify what is true about human beings and sometimes it's the last and hardest thing to relinquish to the full control of God, trusting that he is sufficient. He will give you what you need and he is your satisfaction. Like that song, he is our portion. Tim Keller, the book, The Prodigal God, which is really worth reading because it takes a new turn on the story of the prodigal son and it ends up saying that God is the prodigal God because the word prodigal actually means complete giving, wastefulness almost, you know, just giving. But he said, your computer operates automatically in a default mode unless you deliberately tell it to do something else. So Luther, this is reformer back in the day, says that even after you're converted, By the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on other principles unless you deliberately, repeatedly set it to gospel mode. It's another reason why we gather, to tell each other the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, to encourage, to exhort. And here's a question, you know, sometimes perhaps if I've stalled in my growth, I go, I never seem to be like, I've lost some joy. I, I, I don't feel that I'm growing in Christ and I see other people who perhaps are. Perhaps it's got something to do with money. Perhaps. You know, remember Jesus, it's what he calls us to do as disciples. There's a story we went in Mark where Jesus was on a hillside and he was preaching and there was thousands of people there and the disciples were like, okay, let's get practical. I hear some rumbly tumblies over here. Jesus, tell these people to go home because they've got to get some food. And Jesus just says, you feed them. And they're like, uh, hmm? you know, right? But he means it, you feed them. I'm here. Go, do it. So they, this shocking <laughs> demonstration of this process by which they, they find someone who has some loaves and fishes and then they bring them to Jesus, recognizing they have something, it's not much. They put it in his hands, he multiplies, it feeds every single person and there's like 12 baskets left over at the end of everything. So we can trust God for provision. That's the first thing as a disciple. Who is he? Can you trust him? Try it. Trust him. I know some of us in our most difficult times of lack, and perhaps you've forgotten, there were times when you prayed and you were amazed by how God worked through other people or even occasionally miraculously to provide that which you needed. But when you have everything that you need, maybe those prayers don't happen quite as often anymore. Be faithful in sharing. As a disciple, generosity should be one of the hallmarks of our lives because we're made and increasingly being made in the image of the God who gave all. Decreases the power of idols, you know? The Old Testament says, smash the idols. There is a time to say, I think this has become something that, I've, that I have got way too much importance on, way too much time thinking about, working out, controlling. Maybe do something radical and say, doing something here. You know, even the concept of work, you know, we, we work, and it's important. Um, 
But the, in Ephesians, this is amazing. I've always kind of thought about this passage. And it says that, you know, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. And it says that they may have something to share with those in need. So I don't want us to feel guilty. I want us just to be open to the Spirit of God, what he's saying to the church today. And saying to me, because like, as usual, I struggled this week going like, all the old lines trotting out of my head. I'm like, no, this has got to be, this has got to be, this is a vision of a kingdom that we have not yet stepped fully into, but he's calling us to let him change our minds and our hearts and our actions. So the kingdom of God are giving, it's not bondage, it's freedom. It's not compulsion, it's invitation. It's not a requirement, not at all. You'll never hear me say, hey, you need to give more. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to participate with this work. It's not law, it's grace. It's not so much even about giving, it's actually as much as it's about receiving. We have received. So, yeah, I'm here right here with you guys, working on this, you know, we're doing this together. I've got a few things I think maybe are practical tips to think about. The first one I guess is surrender. I think it feels like every time I hear a message, even when Josh preached last week, it's kind of like, it's like saying like, repentance is really that. It's like, I surrender. I don't have it all together. I am seeking you, God. So surrender. The second one is seek. You know, Bible all the time says, you want wisdom? You want to understand this? Ask me. Seek, seek, seek. Seek the kingdom. Seek his wisdom. I'd say next if you're not giving at all and, and to, to hear this church, and I'm saying there's, lo- I, I, you know, we, there's other places you can do this stuff, but I think this is a wonderful place to start perhaps. And I'll, I'm going to share a little more about that in a minute, but start small. Just start small. God's not worried about that stuff. The 10% thing, like whatever. You can use that as a guide and that's fine, but start small. It's like weightlifting. I shared this analogy last year, two years ago, when I was at Rona's, my wife's uh, weight class. And I was between these two guys who were much older than me. And they had these massive weights, and they were barely able to lift them, but they were doing it. It was just the two of them were in competition to see who could lift the most weight, you know? But Rona was like, honey, this is yours. And it was this pathetic little thing. I felt like so, like, well, how's my form, Rona? All right? And I felt like emasculated a little bit between these much older gentlemen. But, you know, after a few weeks, she gave me an extra little pink weight to put on the side of it, and... So I'd say start small. When I first went back to faith and getting excited about faith again back in like 1999, I was so excited by loving God and loving people, okay? That, you know what something's that first burst of like, yes, it's all yours. And so I bounced two checks to the church I was attending <laughs> because my desire to give was uh, outmatched my capacity to give because I wasn't all that organized. And a bill came out that I'd forgotten about. Luckily, Michelle, who's a dear friend to this day, who was a treasurer, came on that Sunday and said, hey, Grant, you know, a couple of checks, they got returned, but don't worry about it, it's good. And I was just like, oh my goodness, you know? So start small, but start sharing. Start sharing. It is a trust thing. It is a trust thing to step out, you know? Um, the, The next thing is just, I wanna mention Sabbath, you know? If you're not resting in life, then there's probably something wrong. If you don't have a day where you completely stop all commerce, all earning, and simply be with those you love and the God who loves you, perhaps there's something, you know, God intended us 
to work, but also intended us to rest. And the last thing is simplicity. To think about what it means to live a simpler life, perhaps, to, to have what you need. Um, it's really interesting. Christianity is opposed, actually, to the well-being of this country. If you believe this is a country that, is, that runs based on consumption. Imagine every Christian in this country, this would be horrifying <laughs> for, for the country in some ways, all stopped, all stepped off the consumerist treadmill and, and just kind of like made do and stopped buying stuff all the time that they then got rid of the next month. It would actually be a terrible thing in a way, in some ways, but in other ways, it would be an incredible blessing because we'd have such, so much more to give in generosity. I, I, I think we'd find more contentedness too, not constantly on that treadmill of I feel dissatisfied, I need something. You know, I remember I talked about, I fill my Amazon cart with stuff that I don't buy, but it just feels good to put it in the cart. <laughs> you know? And go like, oh, almost taste it. Those records, oh, that triple album, you know, limited edition Pink Floyd album that I've coveted for, oh, I, Ronna would kill me, delete. Or save for later, you see that one? Save for later, that is a trap, it is unfair. I have hundreds of things in save for later. Huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll share my wish list with you guys. But here's the thing. So, you know, we're here at New Song Church this morning, okay? Yeah, our budget is behind. We, are, we're, we had a, a, you know, talk about things and what we're doing, all that stuff. is important, right? But I think the number one necessity, actually, for us to kind of work on this in terms of our relationship with a, with a church is trust, okay? It's about trust. Do you trust? Do we trust? Do I trust that there is something happening here which God is moving in? And there's integrity, and there's wisdom, and people are, are, are working hard to take care of things. I just want to share something. In almost 20 years of ministry, I have been in lots of business meetings, many, many business meetings. And I have to say, they're always somewhat tense. Everyone, be, and I just kind of figured that was the norm, right? That, that you'd be a little bit, there's an anxiety. Oh, people can ask weird questions. And, are you, are you, uh, and I was trying to think about that. Week, why is that? And I think sometimes it's because staff and people start justifying why people should give the money. And perhaps in the back of their mind, they're thinking, we're not really doing much in terms of, you know, connecting with our community, loving people sacrificially, you know? Uh, you know, but, you know, keep, just keep putting money in the plate to kind of keep the lights on. There's, and it's institutionalism. It just kind of slides into this. You just keep doing the same things over and over again. But I have to say, last Sunday when a bunch of people gather for our budget presentation, and I've never felt so calm, so happy, so inspired or excited. I'm being honest here, in, my, in any business meeting in any church I've ever been at before. And it wasn't just because of the delicious snacks, though they were delicious. I think what it is is because there's a real weight to God's presence and work in our community. And what we did that time is, Melody, Josh, and I, we shared this huge list of what we see God doing that is incredibly exciting to us. A full of challenges and questions about how we can make this work. You know, opportunities always lead to, you know, things that are challenging, new ways of doing things and a lot to work out. But just so many things, and we did that before we talked about the numbers and the figures, because that simply is, is a vehicle, a very practical vehicle by which we support the ministry that we're doing. But it was a beautiful time. Um, we're not playing church here. We're not. 
playing church. We are serious. Lord Jesus, it's all yours. Take it, use us. Break open these walls. Show people yourself through us. We will lay down our lives. We want to sacrifice on behalf of this neighborhood, our neighbors. So many things, you know them all, many of them, the pantry, the garden, Thursday Connect, all the stuff we support around the world, you know, space to grieve when something happens, no strings attached. One thing Peter was talking about, which was interesting, is like we have a cash kind of, what's it called? Like reserve? Yeah, yeah we have a cash reserve, and, and he was saying, but here's the thing, if financially we start, it starts to build, we're not saving it and keeping it, we're going to spend it on mission and ministry, and it reminded me of the guy who said, oh, I've got such a big harvest, I'm going to build bigger barns. And actually just came to my mind that day, I said, you know, we have a barn, we have a barn, because we're sensible, we want to make sure we're, we're, we're good, but we're not building bigger barns. We're going to share, because we love God, God loves us, and he loves people, therefore we love people, and this is one way that we love them, by sharing and, and giving a testimony of what generosity looks like in a world of, you know, a lot of... A lack of that. It's been a week. It's good to be here this morning. We're going to take communion as a way of responding to this concept as we ponder what it means to be invited. If you do not have one of these little cups, we're using these again today. If you do not have one, Mr. Dan Soika is going to bring round and we'll give you one. You know, this, is, this really speaks about giving and generosity because, you know, we, we typically think of the Leonardo da Vinci table where they said, hey, we're going to take a photograph, everyone get on this side of the table, and there's 12 people in Jesus, but very likely that room was, was full of many disciples, okay? And, and one thing Jesus specifically says when he breaks the bread and says, all of you, all of you take and eat, it's very similar to the story of the loaves and fishes, you know. Jesus breaks the bread. Then he broke the bread, gave thanks to God, and shared it amongst all the, all the people on the hillside, regardless of their current status or situation. There with his disciples, including Judas, who would betray him, Peter, who would deny him, he says, take it, all of you, take and eat. And it was a simple gift of bread and wine, reminding them also of the manna in the wilderness when there was... They were in this place of wilderness and God met their needs every day with this miraculous manna and then quail and water from the rock. And they, 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 they were in a place where they couldn't manufacture any food for themselves and had to depend entirely on the gifts of God. So we're going to take that in, in remembering uh, that we are a community. We are one in him and we are inviting people to participate, to put their trust in Jesus Christ his immense and endless love and his complete self-giving that has made a way for us to be restored to that relationship and then grow in our relationships with one another, in our diversity, with our unity. Jesus took bread and when he broke it, he gave thanks to God and said, take and eat, this is my body for you. And then he took a cup and he gave thanks. And he pretty much said, I'm making everything new now. There is forgiveness. There is life. 
drink from this cup to symbolize your participation and your reception of this life and this forgiveness, this grace today. Thank you, Lord, for your abundant blessings. Um, we are your children, and we are sometimes just like kids. We, we're slow to learn sometimes, but Lord, we, we want to develop capacities of curiosity and just a longing to know you more deeply. Oh Lord, we know that that does cost us, but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful sacrifice, Lord. Uh, every person here is at a different place in life in terms of uh, so much, uh, and only you can uh, speak to our hearts about what this means for us. And, but I pray that, and I pray that you would, Lord, I know that you do. Oh, the way you, you just intimately connect with our hearts and you call us by name. And this is not, this is not a burden, Lord. I pray that we would experience the freedom and the liberation of this renewing and renewable uh, kingdom uh, that you invite us into. Uh, for I pray in the strong and generous name of Jesus.